Our reading this morning is from Matthew 9:14 to the end. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I can touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel But the Pharisee said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field.
Well, it's a real delight to be with you again. Uh, thanks so much for the invitation to come back and, and talk about CMS, but also global mission, to look into the word. I guess the, the goal really is to, uh, to see God's expansive world and the, the fact that his plans are enormous. We'll get to that. Um, I understand the Bible reading is in your handout, and it's probably a good idea to have a look at that. There's a whole lot of stories, aren't there, one after the other, and um, we'll come back to that. Uh, but first, let me, let me pray. Our Lord, as we, as we look at your sacred word, uh, which is our hope and our light for our path, we just pray that you would please illuminate our minds and our hearts and show us what you want us to, to, to do and to be, to say, and uh, please be with us as we do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I've heard this referred to as the other Lord's prayer. You know, we know the first one, our Father in heaven and so on. But Jesus also asks his disciples to pray this one too. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Pray for kingdom workers. There is a need for workers. What's the need that is identified in this passage? Well, he looks around and the crowds are harassed. And helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Do you ever look at the crowds, you know, at the shops or at the beach or wherever you go and do your work or whatever it is? And, and, and how do you see them? Well, Jesus sees them as harassed and helpless. So there is a need. And there is also a massive opportunity for workers. It's not like there are millions and millions well probably globally there are but in in our where we look around there's a need there's a massive harvest a plentiful harvest but the workers are few just imagine the harvest an actual harvest of wheat with you know just massive massive opening i don't know how to describe this i'm not a farmer somebody could help me but just you know a couple of people just trying to do this enormous space of harvesting so what better thing to do then for us than for us to pray this prayer for more kingdom workers and to pray it over and over. Now, you may think it's unnecessary to pray that God would do the things that he's already intending to do because isn't he intending to reap a glorious harvest? Why does he ask us to tell him to do it? Surely he already knows who are the people that he needs to raise up. Interesting question, isn't it? And yet he is. He's actually wanting us to feel the burden, to feel the weight of this issue. It's what he's telling us to do. Jesus is challenging us. And you know what? As I've been thinking about this, I actually think there are two parts of the challenge. The one is more obvious, and that is to pray this prayer regularly. But the second one, maybe it's a little bit deeper. It's to be the answer to the praying of this prayer. I've been praying this prayer for years. And what an easy prayer. 
Honestly, here I am, Lord, uh, ready to do your will. So please send someone else. (laughs) Oh, man, this could be the greatest cop-out prayer you've ever prayed, couldn't it? No strings attached. Lord, I am burdened by the need and the opportunity. Would you please raise up the troops? And when you do, I will give deep thanks from my heart that you didn't call me to the mission field. But thank you that other people went. The the interesting thing is, though, we actually should be praying that God would send other people. Because you, even if you were completely just, I'll go anywhere you like, you actually can't go everywhere. You can't be the, the answer on your own. We express our smallness and our dependence on God, on the Lord of the harvest, when we pray through the vast array of mission opportunities that exist in the, in the world. But also, you know, I think we're, if we be honest with each other, our life and family circumstance might mean that going to Afghanistan or Myanmar right now, might not really work for your situation. And so we should send that we should pray that he would send someone else. And be thankful when he does. And in fact, CMS is sending workers to both of those locations. Isn't that great? People going into Afghanistan. I mean in Afghanistan there aren't any churches. Uh, There are small house gatherings, but most Christians have been chased out along with the foreign charities and the development organizations and mission agencies. The Taliban is in charge, and that's all there is to it. So how good that someone is willing to go. And in Myanmar, the army's in charge, and they're no better. They've jailed key government uh, members, and they're getting rich off the poverty of the nation. Now, you might be aware there are churches in Myanmar, right? But many of them are amongst the minority people groups that the army is trying to subdue. There's a lot of work to be done. There are tens of millions of Burmese Buddhists, tens of millions of Afghan Muslims who not only don't know the great shepherd, but they have no way of finding out about him unless someone goes to them. So how good is it that God is answering this prayer? Aren't we glad we can rejoice over the fact that God does send workers and we can keep praying the prayer because those missionaries will only be a drop in the bucket and there are many other places for which kingdom, in which kingdom workers are greatly needed. The harvest is without a doubt plentiful. But how do we become the answer to this prayer? Well, you say, Lord, send me. They're hard words, aren't they? But, but do I have to be willing to go anywhere the Lord might send me? It's a good question, and it's quite a tough question, isn't it? I mean, he is the Lord. What does Lord mean if not that he could actually command us? He could say, you, Mark, Afghanistan, and what am I to do? No, Lord, I've got a better idea. He could command it, but I think in this passage we actually see different motivations at work. To start with, it's Jesus' heart on display, not his whip. It's his compassion for the people. He loves them. He sees that they're lost sheep. But not only is the passage showing us 
Christ's love, it's tapping into our loves, I think. It's trying to win you over. As you read these stories, it's trying to say, hey, wake up. This is awesome. God knows that we're better motivated by love than by law. And so the question is, does God's kingdom fire your heart? And if not, pray that it, that it would. So what happens here is this, this great prayer, this other Lord's prayer, it comes in the narrative at what I think is a point of climax in this passage. It follows this series of micro stories that lay out a range of reasons why we might pray the prayer and even be the answer to the prayer. And I just want to look through them briefly and ask the question, do they energize your heart? So five things about the kingdom that stir our heart. The kingdom is something new, something life-giving, something healing and cleansing, something eye-opening, and something mouth-opening. We'll go through them quite quickly. Firstly, the kingdom is something new. Now, the reading started with this brief Q&A between Jesus and some others about fasting. And then it goes into a discussion about old clothes and new clothes, old wine and new wine. Did you understand what it was about? As what's happened is some of John the Baptist's disciples have come to Jesus with a complaint. How come we got a little piece of lettuce in our lunch, in our lunch boxes, and your disciples got chocolate and chips in their lunch boxes? Now, each of my kids cares a great deal about what the other person gets, right? In their lunchboxes. And here, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, are saying, Hey, Jesus, um, we've been looking in their lunchboxes. They're saying, We're fasting. Isn't that the right thing to do? And your disciples, you don't make your disciples fast. That's not fair. And Jesus says, Oh, no, no, you've just misunderstood what's going on. You know, if you're at a big party, like a family wedding, You're not fasting. You shouldn't be. You should be eating and celebrating. Well, there is something to celebrate, Jesus is saying. I'm here. There's something new. And that's why they're not fasting. And then he gives an illustration of what happens when you confuse old things and new things. If you try to use new, unshrunk cloth, to patch an old garment that's torn, it'll just tear again, make it worse. Same with wineskins. We don't use wineskins. But I'm sure you can imagine that, that, you know, the fermentation process, you know, all those chemical reactions, you put new wine that hasn't done that into old wineskins, you know, it's just not going to work. It's just going to burst them. And so he's saying, you know, guys, the kingdom is new. Stop trying to think about it with old categories. And so I've got to ask you the question, do you think of the kingdom as something new? Because, you know, I know it's 2,000 years, but it is new. It changes everything. It changes the whole world and what a human being can expect from life in the world. And it's not even fully rolled out yet. You know, there's a, there's a temptation for us as we, you know, engage in the media and engage in conversations to be to be, I guess to think that we are old news, you know, we're the thing that they're trying to get rid of and they're trying to move into something new. 
And the reality is Christianity is not a relic. Um, and we'll see some of the reasons why that in these next stories. So secondly, firstly, the kingdom is something new. Secondly, the kingdom is something life-giving. So this little girl has died. And the mourners have already arrived and they're crying and carrying on. And in the old world, she has no hope. But this is the new world, right? And Jesus is there. And so not even death can hold this girl down. And the father knows it. And the challenge for us is, you know, how do we have the same faith as this father? Can you imagine this happened to you? That your child had died and was on the bed in the house. The last thing in the world you are going to do is run out of that house. You're going to want to stay there. You, you just, you can't, this is the big thing for you. You, you, how, how do you possibly pull yourself away and say, no, 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 this is not, this is not what it's going to end up as. I'm going to find Jesus <laughs> and to run down the street and to look for him. Gee, I hope he hasn't gone up to the hills. I hope he's here somewhere because I need him. He's my only hope for my daughter. And then he comes and he kneels before Jesus when he finds him and he, he tells Jesus, my daughter's died, but if you come and lay your hand on her, she will live. Wow. That's extraordinary faith. And of course, it's exactly what happens. And why shouldn't we have that faith? Jesus raises the dead. And it wakes us up to the reality that one day we will rise from the dead. If we put our faith in him. Now, of course, this young girl, she would have died again, a second time. And perhaps we don't know how old she would have been, perhaps as, a, as an old woman. Can you imagine her life, though? Um, after this first miracle, I'm sure that would have bolstered her faith in the even greater miracle of what was to come, that she could face her second death, you know, knowing, well, I'm in Jesus' hands. I just love these stories about Jesus raising dead people because they smash our assumptions about life and death out of the ballpark. What have we got to be afraid of if this new thing means life after death? The kingdom is new. The kingdom is life-giving. Thirdly, the kingdom is healing and cleansing. I know that's kind of two things, but you'll see why they're together this little story that's sandwiched in between the story that we've just heard that actually happens in two parts about the, the raising of the dead girl. But here in between is this story about a woman who secretly sneaks up to Jesus to touch his cloak because she has calculated that that's all I need to be healed. But it's actually more than just a healing of a 12-year-long bleeding. It's also a cleansing because the Jewish law would have called her unclean, unfit for public life she, because of this bleeding. She would have had to live out of community, disengaged. And by touching Jesus, you know, surely she makes him unclean too. That's how it worked. But something tells her that with Jesus it will be different, that she will get his cleanness rather than him getting her uncleanness. And that's what happens. 
And it's a, it's a mini illustration of what would then happen on a grand scale on the cross. That Jesus would provide for the cleansing of all who are unclean and come to him to make us fit for life in God's community, to draw us in together, pure, forgiven, cleansed, made new. This is a great kingdom, isn't it? Jesus cleanses us. He takes away our shame, the stuff that you just can't ever bring yourself to talk to others about, the stuff that you wish had happened differently in your background. Well, nothing can shame us if Jesus has honoured us by cleansing us and drawing us into his kingdom community. Fourthly, the kingdom is something eye-opening. Have mercy on us, son of David. So he hears these two blind men and they're following him and somehow they, you know, they, they manage to find their way to where he is because he's gone inside a house and, they, and I don't know how they find it. They kind of work out which house it is and is he in this one? Um, and they feel their way in there couple of blind men looking for Christ. It's a great image, isn't it? Have mercy, Lord. Well, Jesus asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they say. And then he sort of says, well, there'll be a test. If you believe, then you'll, you'll see. And he touches their eyes. He says, let it be done according to your faith. If your faith is genuine, it'll happen. And it does. They, they see their eyes are opened. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? Their actual vision is fixed, but there's a metaphor. They actually have much more that they are able to perceive as a result of this. And fifthly, the kingdom is something mouth-opening. So it's opened some eyes, but it also opens some mouths. It's the last little story in this section, starting in verse 32. There's a man who's been mute because of a demon. Now, of course, we don't believe in demons, do we? Because we're materialists. Oh, but as Christians, we absolutely must believe in demons. And of course, the devil finds that, I mean, the, the best thing that he can do in a Western materialist community is stay under the radar. Don't let anyone know that he's actually here. Don't let anybody actually think that there might be evil spirits in the world because everybody is in this great delusion that it's all about what you see and that nothing that you don't see is actually there. Nothing actually exists. There is no spiritual world, right? That's the lie of the devil. Christ is here healing this mute person by casting out an evil spirit. How awesome is, is this king? <laughs> I mean, he can... Whatever he wants to do, he can do. And it's life-giving and it's eye-opening and it's now mouth-opening. And then, you know, once this guy's regained his voice, the crowd says these incredibly important words. They say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Verse 33. Wow. It's true. Now, you might be thinking, hang on, this... This um, metaphor stuff, you know, they, weren't they just miracles, you know? Are we supposed to push this idea of spiritual blindness of the unsaved and, and the muteness of those who won't praise God? Well, actually, it's very common throughout the whole scriptures for physical and spiritual blindness 
to be linked. Spiritual revitalization is exactly what Jesus was wanting and seeking from the people, that they might turn and be forgiven and restored to God. That was his big goal. That's what the kingdom is all about. Every miracle had a kingdom purpose. And so I guess we've, we've looked at these five things. My question is, does this kingdom stir your heart? See a couple of nods? Yeah. Stir your heart? Is it good? I mean, don't we crave the things in life that are, that are new? And, you know, I'm not just talking about a new car and a new, new phone or gadget or outfit. You know, but a, a hope of better days? We crave that. What about things that are life-giving? And healing. Don't we crave <laughs> to have things that are life-giving that would actually slow the process of our deterioration? That, that's exactly what's on view here. This is, this is amazing. You know, someone who could put everything right. Imagine someone could fix Ukraine. Someone who could restore the poor. Someone who could revive the planet. Who could fix every broken relationship. That's him. That's our kingdom. That's what we're preaching. That's what mission is. It's this. It's not small. It's not old. It's not isolated and somewhere off to the side. This is what everybody wants. Everybody needs. And this is what the kingdom is all about. And yet, the workers are few. It's a massive harvest, the whole planet. Few workers, what about you? Will you pray? Will you go? Maybe you think, well, you know, it depends on where you're asking. You know, where, where, where do you want me to go? I mean, if he sent me down to the cafes of the southern suburbs here, to the local shopping centre, you know, I might be more up for it than if he sent me to the bazaars of Kabul. Maybe I could manage striking up a faith conversation with friends or family or even just dropping the name of Jesus or something that Jesus said into conversation. But Southeast Asia, whoa, Africa, oh, I couldn't go there. <laughs> of course, I want to I acknowledge that sometimes those family conversations and friendship conversations are the hardest you know, many of our missionaries, they can strike up conversations all day long about Christ. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? But are you afraid that, if, that maybe if you open your mind to this whole line of thinking, that he might send you to somewhere really hard and really awful? I have a friend who, while she was studying at theological college, had a, a constant fear hanging over her. I used to be afraid that Jesus might send me to a place that I couldn't possibly love until I worked out that he isn't nasty. He doesn't want to torture me. If he, want to, if he wants to send me somewhere, I believe he will grow my love for that place and its people so that I actually want to go there. None of our missionaries are going off, you know, not wanting to go there. They've all got a heart that, that God develops and grows 
Now, this person ended up going to a, a different capital city in Australia from where she was training. And that turned out to be a good thing rather than going overseas because, you know, she had significant health challenges ahead, health challenges, and God provided richly for her. But what about you? Are you prepared to pray that God might give you a particular love for a particular group of people, whether in Adelaide or Addis Ababa, Woodcroft or Warsaw? Jesus looks at the crowds and he sees that they're harassed and helpless. They're sheep without a shepherd. And so he urges the crowd to pray. So let's ask each other, what about our prayers? There are lots of people in the world who are lost. But on top of lost, I mean lost, there's another category that we sometimes talk about. CMS calls it gospel poor. Of the 17,000 people groups in the world, 7,000 of them are classified as unreached. Even more are classified as gospel poor if you use CMS's designation. But that unreached category, that represents three and a half billion people around the world who not only don't know Jesus, but have no chance of hearing him unless God sends workers. I mean, where else are they going to hear the gospel unless people go across cultures to them if they don't have people in their own cultures? There are many ways of praying for this um, and in some ways just get creative. You've just got to get com committed to it and, and just start doing it weekly, daily, however you like to do it. Naming people groups and getting to know um, their situations. I mean, praying for the Purdies is an excellent way to start by signing up for their prayer points, which will give you not only their own personal family prayer needs, but also the prayer needs of SEP. There are many. And also prayer needs for Chile. Um, I've mentioned before that we that we have prayer diaries out there. CMS has about 120 um, mission units, we call them, so either a family or an individual or a couple, 120 mission units in about 40 countries. You can pick up a prayer diary. If there's not enough today, we, you just email us and we'll send you. Um, we also get a monthly email, a prayer email that's connected to that prayer diary, so you can pray through that prayer diary, which is an annual thing, but you get monthly prayer points that update you on each person in the day order. One of the ways that I pray for workers to be, to be sent to the harvest is through the Operation World app on my phone. Operation World basically nominates a different country every day. I don't know if today's Egypt. Yesterday was Egypt, whatever's next. I haven't looked at it yet today. And, you know, just pray your way around the world. It talks to you about the stats for those countries, about the gospel needs, about the history of the gospel in those places. The Joshua Tree resource um, online, or you can get it through a Prayer Mate feed. That's the, the prayer app that some of you might have on your phone. Um, Joshua, not Joshua Tree, that's a U2 album. Joshua Project. I'll have to update that one. Joshua Tree is a great album. <laughs> um, the Joshua Project, uh, they have an unreached people group of the day. But I said there were 7,000 people groups so it's going to take a while to get through all these people groups do you get a sense of the scale of this harvest i mean how many years would it take for them to roll around some of you are calculating that now roll around all the unreached people groups of the world it's staggering 
And yet we have this awesome news. And so will you pray this other Lord's Prayer regularly and ask God to guide you to the people to pray for, that he would send workers there? Well, there are many, many places in the world where there's no local church, no translation of the Bible in their heart language. How are they even going to meet a Christian? These are Jesus' words. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Will you pray this other Lord's Prayer regularly? And whether you go next door or to the other side of the planet, will you be one of God's answers to these prayers? Let's pray now. Our Lord God, we, we thank you for this wonderful, new, life-giving, healing, cleansing, eye-opening, mouth-opening thing. Your kingdom in Christ, we thank you that we are sitting on a gold mine, but we, just, we are just getting a sense of the, the scope of the need in the world, the, the sense of Christ's heart pouring out, his compassion, that he just saw massive harvest and few workers. We thank you that since that day, um, many, many millions of workers have been sent. But we pray that you would send more workers and we pray that you would put on our hearts the places that you'd like us to pray for and give us the discipline and the passion and the heart ourselves to keep on praying that you would do your good work. And Father, we also think of our own hearts and we ask that you would give us a willingness to be an answer to this prayer in whatever context it is, whether it's our current context or whether it's a context we need to actually go to somehow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.